Hey there, Downers. This is Daniel. Not sure if Downers is what we're calling people who listen, but not sure if anyone's listening, so who cares? Just happy to do another episode here amongst the COVID. Not going out to interview anyone in person, even though I always prefer to interview in person. But because I'm not interviewing in person, I can expand my range from the Denver scene that I've come to know and love to the South Florida scene that birthed my comedy placenta. So the first person I thought about when thinking about South Florida comedy was Matt Z. He is... uh, an incredible person, as you will soon find out. The quick content warning is a fair amount about body dysmorphia. So heads up there. And uh, thank you. Enjoy. Appreciate you. Stay safe out there. Hey, buddy. Good. Oh, damn. Oh, there's a cat. What are you talking about? I don't hear anything. <laughs> you might have had one too many beer. You? Or the cat. Yeah, I'm talking to the cat. It's too early to be this drunk, Sadie. Yeah. <laughs> Freaking cataros. First of all, uh, it's cool that it's like no time has passed at all, but in reality, quite a bit of time has passed. Yeah. Uh, since since we were regular hanging parts of uh, the comedic lifestyle way back in Florida. Yeah, man. Uh, how, how it's probably I've been in Denver five, so it's probably been at least what like seven or eight years since you moved away from Hollywood, kinda. And I was in um, Hollywood, Florida, by the way, not the cool one. Oh. Yes, that's where we met in Hollywood, Florida. I, I went back to school in 2012, and I was still doing shows a little bit. Yeah, so 2013. Yeah, seven years. Nice. So. You know, this is a podcast about why we walk away, why hilarious people who should be at the top of the comedy world just aren't for any number of life reasons. Um, you are one of those people I think of immediately that um, the funniest people are not necessarily the people at the top because there's so much else involved in kind of playing the game or jumping through hoops or marketing or who knows the many things that aside from being funny are important in making a popular or successful stand-up comedian to me you seemed like someone who just either didn't want to or didn't care didn't give a shit about any of that other bullshit and back then people knew you as just one of the most crushing forces in the comedy scene when Mazzy was at a show everyone knew the shit was going to get blown up you had that kind of heavyweight reputation um now, I know there's other things like you didn't want to do clubs and things like that. I'm doing the entire interview both sides, by the way. Um, <laughs> that's just a little background of the kind of perception um, of kind of just where things were in like those eight, what late 2000s. And... Yeah, the late 2000s would be when I was at sort of the top of my game, you might say. <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, you know, I appreciated that no compromise belief, but I know there was always like that struggle. So I don't know if you could just feel free to talk about like how you ended up walking away from stand-up. Yeah, no, specifically about what you were talking about or I, you know, it's always a, especially because no one knows who I am and it's sort of a weird past tense thing. I don't do it anymore. It's, 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 uh, you feel really weird going, you know, I killed a lot, but like you were saying, I killed a lot and it's, but it's kind of a curse when you're the guy who kills in bars and small comedy shows and things. Cause um, I got really, really good at that 
um, really quick. And then I basically spent five years doing that, you know, instead of the, the steps that go beyond where people, you know, then they try to move on to clubs and then they try to move on to doing it more as a business and not just a thing you do because you feel some kind of weird compulsion and you can call it art and you can justify wasting your life doing it, you know? But I was kind of getting the pure form of the reward insofar as I was getting the positive attention and I was getting a lot of laughter and I had a nice social group. I mean, the, the best part of comedy always more than performing was getting to hang out with comedians, you know, like just being at shows and being fun and enjoying each other and uh, completely ignoring whoever's on stage. Cause we were just sitting outside bullshitting with each other. You know, that was always the best, uh, the best part for me. And so in one way I got like a, a great, great, great amount of success, you know, uh, just kind of that meaningless, uh, but fulfilling success. Right. That just when I was, maybe not meaningless, but intangible. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I was, I was, I was a, a pretty big fish in a very, very, very small, you know, in, you know, in an eyedropper, you know what I mean? A Floridian swamp. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, but so that makes life difficult too, because then anytime I tried to do something with the skill set that I had cultivated, uh, outside of, uh, those kind of places or those kind of shows when they would try to put me on regular shows at the improv for normal people who were just showing up. And I say normal, you know, I'm an arrogant asshole, I guess, but you know what I mean? It's the difference of young people or just bar people or people who have gone out to drink and enjoy themselves versus a sort of formal event. It's weird to call the improv formal. There's a thing I'm looking for where, because right, there, there was always comedy, a, for sure. Yeah, there was and that's a babysitter the, and go out. Yeah. And yeah, uh, you know, I, I just, I never could, uh, I, I just, what I did never really worked, uh, as well. Every, every time I was put in those environments, except for a few times, it just never quite worked the way I wanted to. And then everybody comes out of the woodwork and they're trying to, uh, trying to, you know, the, the, they're trying to help and I understand, but the advice that they're giving is just how to, to, to become more like a typical club comedian. And not, not that that's a bad thing, but I was never going to be able to be that, you know? And so there's, there's that element that emerged kind of early on because I was getting a lot of spots and people always wanted to book me and it wasn't hard to, you know, have a pretty full calendar around South Florida because South Florida is so big, you know, with Miami. Mind driving a little bit. Yeah. Well, that was, that was all I did. I dropped out of, uh, I, I had gone down to live with my grandma you know what I mean? That was another aspect of yeah. what was going on in that time. I was I was unemployed for most of my comedy career, and I lived with my grandma. And uh, toward the end, you know, I was using the gig money to pay for gas and shit, and that's how I got around. So it was kind of all I did. So I, you know, I, between Miami and uh, West Palm Beach, you know, Fort Lauderdale in the middle there. It's a good three-hour spread or so. Yeah, but uh, and I lived right in the middle. Hollywood is kind of right in the middle. So for me, it was an hour and a half either way. It was kind of the furthest I had to go. Mm-hmm. So I got up all the time and, uh, you know, but I was never really, uh, never really able to take the, 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 the thing that I was doing and put it in a, in a more uh, conventional setting. Uh, you know, and that uh, I realized pretty quickly, but I was able to, I was successful enough doing the sort of bars and small open mics and, and, you know, comedy shows at bars and and those sort of things. One nighters, one nighters too. I always did good at, that was the thing. Like on the road, I did pretty well. The few times I did it, uh, when we would go do bonkers or like coconuts or places like that, that were those regular weekend sort of, those are a little bit more wild westy. And as long as you can get the crowd on your side, mm-hmm. I really, you know, 
But I, now also, this sounds like a terrible hack justifying himself, and I think there is an element <laughs> of that too, you know. No, I mean, like, this is coming from a, a more credible position because it's way harder to make those people laugh in the bars than it is in the clubs. And a hack would be saying that, like, they went out to the bring friends and family in the audience night and crushed it at the improv, you know. Right. Like, not being able to translate is such an interesting problem because it makes me think that maybe the club, you know, it wasn't you, you know, like the advice everyone was giving you to fit your comedy into this club box was killing your comedy, was weakening it, was compromising it. And it's probably true. And I couldn't lose myself in it. There's an element of performance. And that's the thing that uh, it needs to be stressed. And anybody who's listening to this does probably suspect already, because we're talking about me killing really hard in bars. I committed really hard. I got lost in the performance. I wasn't like super big, but I yelled a lot. You know, I had stuff. You broke the, the mold for sure. Yeah, but it, it was like there was an element of it too that was like me getting whipped up and lost in the moment, which I think, you know, everybody would tell you is a, a part of doing comedy and doing it well. But uh, the, there's the element where, so in a, I look like a bar person, you know, people see me and as I've gotten older, you know, I'm, I'm a, I've got long hair, I've got a beard, I dress in black, I wear heavy metal t-shirts, I'm one of those. I look like a bar person. Uh, so when I'm at a bar doing a comedy show or even a small sort of weird artsy theater thing or whatever, I don't necessarily look out of place. And then, you know, my act was sort of being pleasantly repulsive and all that sort of shit, Win, you know, winning people over. Oh, he's a person. He's a valid person, too. Look at that sort of thing. I don't know. Right. Like, um, I look so different, but I'm a human. And it, it, there's a certain element of kind of stanhopeness, for lack of a better. No, that's, let's, let's, let's not even. Uh, I, when I, st I was a carbon copy of Doug Stanhope when I first <laughs> His act was the, the one that kind of gave me the, the, I was like, oh shit, people that like, think like this and, and like this sort of thing are out there. And I, but I was doing the voice, I was doing this fake stutter. I mean, the whole thing. And that's another thing that was really difficult. Because again, you develop a certain skill set and, you know, you eventually realize even the stuff that I've built on top of that, that is my own, is it goes back a little bit to that stuff. Um, it, it's it's hard it's hard to to you 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 and then when you you realize but then there's the part of you that goes there is no authentic me either you know everything i right. am is a version of myself so this quest for something that, that's not there isn't there either and you know when i've talked with other comedians about that it's uh, the consensus is usually everybody is doing a version of somebody when they start and it kind of becomes your version as you keep going mm -hmm. and i guess it's, it might be fair to say that that's the case but um you know, that, that is another thing that was really hard too. It's like, as I got older, for instance, as I get older, uh, when I was in 24, 25 and my whole act was getting drunk and yelling at people about internet pornography uh, and the crowds were, so as I've gotten into my thirties, when I would try to do those same jokes, there is a degree of menace that comes with me being older, you know, wow. because it's about me and my deviant sexuality. Not you just know? a young 20-something figuring shit out, but a, a hardened 30-year-old who has his fetishes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it, it changes the way, you know, it changes the way some of that stuff comes off because I'm not like baby-faced and pudgy anymore. I'm still pudgy, but I'm, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It, Damn. That, that's a thing I definitely noticed. Uh, and that, now, granted, I noticed that in the few times I've done comedy since then, and also just from my personal taste, looking back, like I do understand, even though I'm still an asshole about music, I definitely understand 
uh, when bands don't want to play the old songs anymore because they're like, we're just not those people anymore. And I do kind of get that, you know, the idea of going back up on stage and doing my axe deodorant smells like date rape joke is, is <laughs> right. you know, like, okay, well, I mean, first of all, it's 15 years dated. And second of all, it's like, uh, uh, you know, you're not that person that you've outgrown that person. Yeah. Yeah, that is definitely one of the pitfalls of comedy is when your material prevents you from developing as a human or yeah. you know, growing, continuing. Toward the end, I think that's why mostly what I was doing was a lot of, I mean, and again, it's, it's all hack shit, right? But I, I was doing a lot no. more crowd work and trying to be spontaneous and talk to the crowd. You know what I mean? That's not hack shit, uh, but I get it. That, no, no. That's coming from no, a desire to, to have something real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, because I really don't have anything to say to most strangers. That's the thing that's really difficult about the kind of person that I am. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of, uh, I, I, despite, you know, every comedian describes themselves as introverted, right? But I kind of am. I'm really, you know, I, 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 not, I lock myself away from the world and I'm comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mind being alone. It's not trouble. You know what I mean? I look, kind of look forward to long stretches of not having to do anything or see anyone. It's a nice you thing. Love in this quarantine, huh? Well, I would if I wasn't still working. I'm actually, I'm, I'm expecting to be fired at some point next week. And I'm really hoping that I get a couple <laughs> months break or you know, not a couple months, but a couple weeks would be nice. What a Twilight Zone way for you to be in this perfect time to stay home, yet you have an essential job. Yeah, it's not fair. It's not <laughs> fair. <laughs> That's right. Well, damn. Well, I'll, I'll say just for the record that even though you may have felt like a Stanhope clone, because you can always tell when someone's like, oh, that person's just doing Stanhope. Or you came off with someone who's like, that person would do great opening for Stanhope. That person would go well, you know, not yeah. derivative, but in the, and we did open for Stanhope, uh, yeah. which is one of the, you know, badges that almost every human in Florida has, but <laughs> still an amazing badge <laughs> nonetheless. Yeah. I was looking at back some of our some of our clips that we made or we did that talk show we did the food laser thing food laser was funny man food lasers that was like fun avant-garde mixed media you know that was just a little doodle in your book we were hanging at your house and writing and getting stone and one of your little margin doodles was a laser and a man with his tongue out like ah <laughs> and it said food laser exclamation point and i was like this is wonderful i forgot the genesis of that i was watching the video i totally yeah, I'm gonna. I'll link to that in the description so people cannot watch it. Um, yeah, <laughs> no, but I mean that was, and it was such a fun. Just from out of that, you know, just the the whole little video blossomed, and then that was the live show we did. The live talk show was sponsored by Food Laser. We did the little Food Laser at the beginning and everything. Yeah, it was a fun, crazy thing, and it was like like I'm I'm you know mixed media again. I hate myself for trying to speak uh, intelligently. I always feel like I miss and make it flowery. You know, but um, the way that went from being a drawing to a video and it, the, the video is really stream of consciousness and it's very strange. And it, the part, the, there's a caveat to where it seems like we're on drugs the whole time. And we kind of were, but not really, you know, um, there, there was a lot of fun that was done with that. That was something that was a really special little fun, stupid thing that grew out of nothing that grew out of the tiniest little, you know. Right. Right. Just hanging out. And uh to skip ahead to the, what usually is the end of the podcast for regrets that I try to ease uh, is I regret not doing that like 50 more times with you yeah. or that's how YouTube 
is. That's what, you know, right. and especially back then it would have been right. even more special, but, uh, you know, that's just comedy. Yeah, no, it was, that's true. That one kind of went so well. I don't know. We never really talked about it, but the, the, the one show we did, it, it turned out to be pretty good. You right. know, the video turned out to be funny. Uh, people had a good time. You know, I, I think that uh, we could have, but I, part of me is like, uh, we both kind of, we, we really got away with something here. <laughs> and then we, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I mean, and, and maybe you could speak to it. I, I feel that like it might've had to do with the scene in the way that now living in Denver and seeing like what a, a larger, fuller scene can do. If we had done that in somewhere like Denver, New York, LA or somewhere, we would have gotten more mileage out of it. We could have gotten more gas and support and we might've done more of it. We might've, you know, had more people willing to have venues to do that kind of thing or yeah. lived, lived in a city that was easier to be able to be a working artist in. Yeah. Yeah, no, man, I see the, I see the, um, I see that, uh, myself and, you know, like, uh, my first open mic, I met Mike Lawrence at, and I was taking him around to early open mics when I was first getting started, I was picking him up and driving him and we were doing, you know, two or three nights a week for, and then he up and moved to New York. And I was like, you know, I, I don't think I'd even been doing it for a full year yet. And I was like, this seems like way too soon. And then you look at it now, he's a working professional he made that, you know, he made right. that jump and he pulled it off and I'm sure he went through really hard times and everything, but he actually did it. And same thing. I stayed in, uh, I stayed in South Florida and I was very successful in one way, but in other ways it was like a, it, you know, it's a, a cat chasing its tail sort of thing, you know? Yeah. I'm just going to belch into the microphone next time. I'll get a couple good ones and then I can just pepper them throughout. Yeah. When I tried to hide that one and then I realized who I am and who you are. <laughs> yes. And who are our, our audiences there mostly failed comedians themselves so it's, uh, it's a lot of fun um, who wants to hear another famous comedian talk about why they're famous right right reflect upon your success you humbly right things, things just worked out you know i mean yeah. uh, there were some hard times for sure i have to say there were hard times because if they don't no one will respect me but uh, it worked out it worked out everything's great everyone's so talented everything is wonderful i just oh yeah it's like a good set like you walk off stage you just high five everyone and you don't really know the nuances of what was particularly good but if it's a terrible set then you question every single word and you go why did i do this and what happened i must grow or i will die you know that's true when you when you bomb right there's a part of your brain that always thinks it's one or two specific things and you ponder them trying to find what it is but when you kill you never think it's one specific thing it's of course I killed. Why wouldn't I kill? It's, yeah. it's like, yeah, but what if it was just because there was, you know, just some stupid little thing that you did on the way up and it made some lady in the front row giggle a little bit, you know, you never know, yeah. you know, yep. the crowd was just hot or you were in a good spot or you had a different energy that you didn't even realize. Or, mm -hmm. I mean, those are, those are the fun, you know, nuances that eventually lead to becoming uh you know a great stand-up if you can kind of navigate it and get lucky enough but yeah. to uh to to divert a little so how long i know you still kind of do stand up a little bit here and there like oh man yeah like once or twice a year just for just to hang out with a couple of friends you know what i mean 
Mm-hmm. Like the most recent one was a real bad disaster. <laughs> Do tell. <laughs> I was in, um, there's a, a, here in Melbourne, I, I live in Cocoa Beach, Florida and in Melbourne, Florida, which, I'm in a small Florida area. So everything is two towns over that sort of thing. But you go to mm-hmm. Melbourne and there's a hardcore punk bar, which is amazing because we never had anything like that when I was a young man. And uh, the place has a, a, they had an open mic. I was just there getting drunk because I, I, I kind of had a crush on the bartender and the opportunity rarely arose. And uh, and then there was an open mic that the people, I had stayed there way too long and then gone long into the night. So all of a sudden it's like eight or nine at night. Hey, we're doing an open mic. Holy shit. And it was some uh, of the, some of the Cocoa Beach people that I haven't seen in a while. Some of the central Florida comedians, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I was drunk enough at that point where I was like, I don't care if I bomb, I can do five minutes. I can just do old jokes and have fun and be silly. So, so wait, you knew right when you heard the open mic unexpectedly, there wasn't a debate. Am I going to do it? Am I not going to do it? You were like, Oh yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Right away. Yeah. It felt like a special moment. And you know, it's, it's, it was, it was uh, serendipitous. And also, like I said, I was and for the girl. Dead. Right. You're looking at it as a way to impress the opposite sex yeah, in a way that yeah. you can, when can you do that for the opposite yeah. sex in a natural way? Yeah, right. Yeah. Or the same sex. Sorry, just for viewers, you know, uh, I just, you know, I didn't well, mean to pigeonhole sex of love. Well, no, if we're talking about me, we're talking about kind of the vague idea of another person, but not really their body and physical space, but that's a whole other mental, you know, um, anyway, I, so I'm, I've been at this bar for hours and I'm really drunk and I didn't realize how drunk I was. And I signed up for this show and proceeded to start getting really drunk uh, on top of already being drunk. So I was like, all right, just a few drinks. And then I started, you know, two fisting beers. And by the time I go up, uh, by the time it's time for me to go up, I didn't remember a lot of what happened. Uh, it's one of those things where the burst of adrenaline that you get when you, when you from performing sobers you up sometimes. And so I, I realized that I, but, but anyway, there's an important part at the beginning of the story. The person who went on before me, this was a small local open mic. This was like 10 comedians performing for each other kind of open mic. You know what I mean? So everybody's Most doing jokes. Mics, that, right. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so there's comics, some, you know, people, everybody knows everybody's jokes for the most part. We're trying out a few new things. We're rehearsing bits. We need to have tight, that sort of shit. Girl goes on before me. I can tell she's a relatively new comedian and she's doing a lot of body hating self shame comedy. I do a lot of body hating self shame comedy. So I always approve of that sort of thing. It doesn't make me uncomfortable. I like it when I hear it. I don't care. But in a small room where nobody's laughing anyway, it did create kind of a tenseness, kind of a strange. It's an uncomfortable moment for a lot of people. When you hear someone repeatedly talking about their body in a shameful, hateful way, and then there's. 10 seconds of silence and then here's another one you know yeah so it's time for me to go on stage and uh i i'm drunk as shit i'm so drunk one of the first things i say when i get on stage is oh my god what have i done i realize now i've made a terrible mistake but i refuse to get off stage i don't know again what the fuck was wrong with me um it was it was like i was just like i there was a part of me that was like indignant at this point because it was you know you're drunk so there's like parts of your ego that are awake but not your intelligent mind and i'm like i used to fucking be good at this i can at least get through (laughs) one goddamn joke and i really couldn't right and i was trying and failing and i oh god just kind of like not remembering the wordage of your classic bits yeah the whole thing starting a sentence finishing a second sentence you know like fades away yeah and then um and then, so then, but then I was like, I've, I've got jokes in my back pocket that are, you know, you think of them like Fitzsimmons calls them the grenades that you've got on your belt. So I was going to one of those, which is one of my, I hate my body jokes. 
And I've, you know, of course, the kind of person who, because I was sitting in the room, you have to comment on what's going on at the room. She's sitting right in front of me. So what I say is, hey, fat girl, I'm going to start doing my fat guy jokes. Let me show you. Let me show you how I do it. Sort of. But I don't even get through that because I just go, hey, fat girl. Oh, it's, no. very, it's very very hazy it's very very hazy no what happens is i tried no i tried to talk to her about another dumb joke about receiving uh i think uh dicks in the mail or it could have been, uh, dicks on your phone dicks in the mail <laughs> uh <but laughs> that's what i'm gonna i'm gonna send you dicks in the mail <laughs> you just got a new million dollar business here buddy <laughs> i'm gonna sit down and write you know, like real fancy calligraphy, calligraphy pen and then like a black and white. Anyway, um, fucking. So I, uh, I was trying to talk to her a little bit is what it was. And then, of right, course, trying to commiserate, a, trying to connect. Yeah. Right. Real. So this is already a really uncomfortable open mic uh, situation. Anyway, I'm super drunk. I'm eating shit. I'm embarrassing myself. I'm making everyone feel bad. And she decides she's going to get up and leave the room. And as she's getting out, I go, wait, fat girl, don't go. And that's when, <laughs> that's when she ran away crying. Right. And that's when, but so, and oh. I'm sitting there just, just trying to be thinking I'm being clever going, no, I'm about to launch into, I hate my body. Here's how hideous I am. And let me, let me commiserate with you by showing you, I, I also do body dysmorphic humor <laughs> right. because I'm fundamentally unsatisfied with the human condition. Let me, let me, you know, let us bond as, but of course, that's not how it comes off as. It just comes off as me, a big, giant, 35-year-old biker going, hey, fat girl, don't go away. Where are you going? You know? God. Right. And in that moment, anyone isn't understanding the nuance that you're, you're setting the foundation for the story you're yeah, going to tell your grandchildren. No, right. you're just using the double standard of male entitlement to call someone fat when you yourself are fat. Don't you even know that? Right. And then that was, but that was supposed to be the device was, you know, hey, 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 fat girl, don't go. And then I was going to, I'm going to do my fat guy jokes now about, you know, my, my awful bulges and how I'm covered in stretch marks and all that sort of shit. And I feel like if I had been even remotely sharp, I would have gotten all that out in one sentence, but instead that's not what happened. So the idea was never communicated, you know? Right. Um, so at this point, you know, she leaves. I don't notice that she's run away crying. I'm still on stage trying to get through one joke. Can't do it. Keep fucking up. Someone's trying to light me. I'm so drunk and realize that it's taking it's going very badly i thought he was taking a picture posing for the oh, light you're posing for the light i was then i get off stage finally somehow mercifully go to the back girls they're crying i start crying i try to give her a hug they don't want a hug that's fine that's fine and i have to go and i just have to leave and now i don't go there anymore and i just don't go to that place anymore and that's how that story ends damn <laughs> yeah that was, that's the most, uh, well, it's, it's probably the, the worst that's, time I've ever had. That's so poetic. And like, cause I mean, that is kind of when you do stand up and then you, you stop doing it normally or regularly, that's one of the worst case scenarios you kind of envision of like, oh yeah, I can just do stand up every once in a while. It's something I always have. Yeah. And especially because I still have the, the, there's still like the instincts are still strong. I'm still good in conversation. Mm -hmm. It's like a superpower you can turn on a little never bit. Stop when being funny. Yeah. And I still do kind of file away little ideas for bits when they show up. So you always kind of have a handful of things. You think, Oh, I'll just do this. This will be fine. 
Mm-hmm. But like I said, I was insanely drunk and, and it, oh God. And the bartender and there's right. All these other elements that play everything. Other and I than just, just like, know. let me be funny. It's like, no, I want to impress the bartender. I need to represent myself in the scene. I got to dust off this old rusty sword that I had at my hilt. I got to, you know, and, and by the way, what are my jokes? Yeah. Yeah. And then I can remember the first sentence, but not the middle part. And then the punchline, which doesn't make sense because there's no middle part. Yeah. Well, just, you know, let it outside. That's a, whew, that's a shitty yeah. time. How, how long yeah. ago was that? That was recently. Yeah. That was like six to eight months ago. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. And about seven years since you stopped the, Doing it regularly, the yeah. regular grind. Do you remember the process or how that stopped? I, uh, you kind of grow, you, you get to a point where you're doing, you're, you're doing the same thing with roughly the same result for so long. You feel kind of like you're spinning your wheels, all that sort of stuff. Plateau. Uh, you hit a strong plateau. Uh, I was, uh, I was 27. I was living with my grandma. I'd been doing comedy for like five years six years doing relatively well you know creatively artistically fulfilled group of friends all that sort of shit real great mm-hmm. um not much money i was starting to be able to to have two or three you know like fifty dollar twenty dollar thirty dollar shows a week sort of thing where i could spin it like i could i couldn't support myself in any way you know what i mean and i i kind of at that point in time i hadn't worked in years i just didn't think about getting a regular job again i don't know why it wasn't that hard to do when i finally did but i just didn't well you went straight from high school into comedy right no i uh i went i did uh high school and then i did two years at fsu mm. not two years two semesters at fsu and then i moved back to the town i lived in for uh, a year or so and i had a couple small odd jobs and i moved to south florida to live with my grandma and uh and work with a job that my uncle had got me down there but it was always that that was it was always i'm gonna go to a bigger city and do comedy that was the main reason why moving to south florida was appealing for me for Mm. sure um but then i got down there i worked that job for a year and a half or whatever started doing open mics i lost that job uh and i just never got another job and i was living with my grandma she was always kind enough to just kind of let me do it as long as i was doing something you know so Mm -hmm. and that was what i did polite uh feelings would like me to ask how she is but i'm afraid because it's a grandma oh, she's doing all right oh she's god i love right. her oh she's such a sweet yeah she's bless still her heart. bless her soul yeah she's still up and going she's gonna turn 87 here in may ah what what a gal yeah yeah they don't you know she's one of those ones she's had uh i mean all kinds of she had a knee replaced in her 80s she's up and about you know mm. she's doing what she can you know good good yeah yeah, I remember smoking uh, resin bowls on the back patio of uh, Grandma's yeah. house. That's right. And that was kind of work. That was kind of comedy for you. Was are you making enough money to smoke weed, or are you making enough money to smoke resin bowls? Yeah, that's exactly right. That was when you know <laughs> being in the green or in the black. You know, <laughs> there it is for all our accountant listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and Grandma even called that porch the office. You know, like there was there was kind of a thing where that was where I worked. She was oh. okay with that. You know? She had such respect for her craft that maybe didn't deserve it. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Not at all. She just, she wanted to believe in me and she, you know, she did, oh. I guess, or she politely put up with it. I don't know. Mima. Yep. 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 Um, uh, so, but I, you know, so I living with that was, uh, like I said, the lifespan of comedy for me was five or six years. 
I think three and a half, four of those probably more was unemployed living with grandma, you know, started doing comedy when I was 20, 21 ish, might've been early 22. Um, and then, so I'm out by 27, you know? Um, and then, uh, so, uh, let's see, I was doing real well for a long time, living with grandma, no real job, starting to make a small amount of money, starting to be able to pay for gas, pay for weed, pay for drinks at bars a little bit. Not really, you know, trying, I was always, I was always trying to hustle drinks and it's really hard to do as a 300 pound man. You know what I mean? <laughs> you gotta be really funny to get, you gotta be really yeah. fucking funny. And every time I bluntly asked the crowd to buy me drinks, they never would. So I just abandoned ship on that. And you had to kind of just put out the vibe that I'm the kind of guy who will hang out for free drinks. Right. Um, I definitely remember dudes coming up. Hey bro, you want to do a shot? You're like, yeah. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, I was 27 years old. I got, oh, I, I, I started to go back to school cause I could get a Pell grant and community college was such that, you know, uh, you could, uh, I, I mean, it was, it was, uh, I didn't need to buy books or anything. So I would just take the refund money basically. And, and for the whole semester, then that was like a small padding I could get every semester that only mm-hmm. lasted for four semesters or whatever, but it was so easy that I just kept going and I went I into FAU. Yeah. Um, but so in, so in that time I got a real bad staph infection. I was hospitalized. Uh, I, I, I had like a, I guess I had a zit on the back of my ball sack. I don't really know exactly. I, it, um, mm. I noticed like one time when I, I, I flipped out my junk to take a piss and I'm one of these guys where I pull out my balls and my dick because otherwise my waistband will pinch my dick and it's unpleasant. And my Team stream balls, is weak. bro. Team balls. Yeah. Flop the balls over the top, right? Then you get that nice clean stream. And I, I noticed that I felt like a sore spot on the back of my sack. And well, I should, I should think about that. I should investigate that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't. Uh, and it's just one of those things where it was a lesson in, it was a lesson in how bad should you let things get. And uh, I think I let it go for a week and part of my, uh, part of my ball sack started to get hard and swell up and I had a fever and I was, getting dizzy and shit. And I was still like, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. And then one night I got up in the middle of the night to take a, a, a piss and I kind of stood up too fast and I woke, I, I didn't wake up on the floor, I guess, but I kind of did. Cause I woke up on the floor, you know, like I did lose consciousness or something. Uh, and, uh, you know, so th- that morning I made grandma take me to the hospital and I was in the hospital for eight days, real bad staph infection you know, they, they, the hospital treated me as a homeless person. I was an in, indigent health is what, you know what I mean? So hey, I, I, Oh yeah. Cause just no insurance, yeah. no whatever. I had no insurance. I had no income. I had a bank account that had $300 in it. So the hospital kind of, they considered me an indigent, you know what I mean? What's the payment plan on indigent care? Well, so most of it is handled by the County and then the rest of it, they just bill you with, and then they sell off the debt to debt collectors who then mm-hmm. sell off the debt to other debt collectors. That's one of the things that's interesting about the healthcare system is like the hospital gives me a bill that I can't pay, but then a debt collector pays a portion of that bill for the right to try and collect on it. So the hospital does get some money in this system. And then the, the bill collector tries to collect the money from me. Eventually when I'm never going to pay it, they sell that debt to another bill collector who then comes after me. And so I've seen it, you know, I think wow. the total bill, I got two total bills. They were like 65 and $68,000. I was 27 <laughs> years old. I had no, I've done nothing, you know, nothing, nothing, I had nothing. 
but I, they call, they treated me like a homeless person. Most of it, they never pursued or anything. There's a small, there was a few like weird doctors association fees that kept showing up. There was one that over the years has gone from give us $3,000 to we'll take 200 and never speak of this again, you know, but I'm well, well past seven years. My credit has reset and everything. So I just, you know, I don't ever, but that happened. Uh, so that would have, that happened five ish years into comedy. Um, it was, it was a significant event. Yeah. And it, it really makes you feel like you were a piece of shit who's done nothing with your life and can't take care of yourself. Cause it's one thing, it's one thing when you're a, a young person who's going, yeah, fuck it. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a big gamble. I'm taking a big risk on this, but I'll be fine. I'm young and strong and all that sort of shit. And, uh, and then something like that happens and you go, Oh, I, like, I, I'm, I can't take care of myself. I have no ability to actually take care of myself, you know? Um, so that, that affected me, um, pretty strongly. Uh, but also that was mo mostly just tied in with the, the moroseness about, you know, Oh God, you, you worry about death and dying and all that shit kind of hits home. You know, that sort of thing happens. Um, right. Put it in perspective. and then, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, a, it was only a few, a few days, I feel like after, uh, but it was probably a week or two after I got out of the hospital, my mom died and, uh, she, she had like, it was a real weird thing where she had broken her, she had broken her heel. And then, uh, when she was in the hospital, right. uh, she, she died, you know, and it was one of the, it, it's like a it's malpractice a thing, right? Yeah, it kind of was, but we couldn't get a malpractice case because, uh, her health wasn't strong enough. You know, it was one of those things where it would have been difficult to convince a jury, uh, whoever needs to be convinced. I don't know. You know, the point is she right. was a 300 pound lady with COPD and it's like, yeah, but she broke her foot and then she died in the hospital. It's fucking crazy, you know, but it's like, well, no, nobody would, nobody would take the case sort of thing. Cause they felt like it wasn't winnable, you know? Right. So, um, and you know, so that, and then, so then when that happens, all of a sudden now I've got the house too. Where so so you know because we we have the, the house I grew up in is here in Cocoa Beach, and my brother still lives uh, with me. He was living with my mom at the time. Um, my aunt Carol and my grandmother uh, were living across the two blocks from me here. So here in Cocoa, so all of a sudden, you know, I've just gotten out of the hospital. I've got all this. I have I have no life. I have nothing. I've done nothing with myself. All that sort of shit. And I've I've just made peace with that now. I don't want anybody to think I've become ambitious. But um, I, I mean, and nothing is debatable, of course, because yeah, you know, the the sum experience of the everything you've done and is makes you who you are, and you know maybe you don't have a couple of things to write on a resume, but you've lived right. your fucking life. Yeah, that that's true, and that but is I feel, actually. But I feel you on paper. You got nothing. Yeah, yeah, and you know it's just. Uh, I think too, it was just the first glimpse of mortality, and then my mom died right after that. Um, you know, this is sort of a one-two where it was just like, what, what, why am I, why am I pretending? But then at the same time, um, all of a sudden now there's this house that I've got to take care of and all this sort of shit. And uh, brother and yeah. Uh, yeah. And like, let's be honest here. There, there is a, uh, like, what are you doing comedy for? And it's like, well, I want to, you know, the personal satisfaction of it or whatever, but then you want to have a job that you don't hate and you want to make enough money to, to have a nice place. I, I inherited a house in Cocoa Beach, Florida. I mean, it's a shit, it's a shithole. It's a total pig house. I live like an animal. You know what I mean? I, I have more of a cave than a house, but I have cordoned off personal space now that belongs to me. 
which is basically one of the primary reasons that you struggle right in life. So I don't need to worry about that. Um, and that was a major component too, where I was, I was sitting here going, you know, I can spend my whole life uh, trying to dig out an existence for myself where I can have something like this, or I can just have this, you know? Right. And you uh, have shelter. Yeah. And it's my property legally, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's like, I don't have a college degree. I was rapidly approaching 30 and it's like, here's an asset that's worth a lot of money that you, you know, everybody in the world is going to expect, uh, you're just going to sell this house and go piss the money away. But I I don't have any college. I I have an AA degree. I was in the middle of, I was not even, I was at the beginning of trying to get another degree when all this shit goes down. So I just dropped out of school. Um, but, uh, you know, so now I have this, theoretically, I have this asset, I have this piece of land. It's like, I just need to hold on to this because this probably more than anything is a thing that I can count on when I'm getting older, you know, mm-hmm. now that, you know, now that death and dying is very real. Salient. Yeah. So that's, so I've been, you know, I've been, fuck, I got a job. I, the first job I could get back was we, we had a thing. Here on, baby, the, right. Well, that's, that's technically not true. I, I got it. There was a pay what you want taxi cab service here in Cocoa beach where you had to, you rented a cab from this guy for 50 bucks. And then you would drive around picking up crackheads and old ladies and strippers and shit and taking them to where they needed to go. And it was pay what you want. So you had to, I mean, it was crazy. I only did it for like three days and I was like, there's no way I can ever make money. This is, this is insane. You really are a Doug Stanhope hack. All right. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to get material by driving around the strippy crackheads and that stuff. It's just the energy that I had put out in the universe. I attracted those people to me, right? That's the law of attraction. <laughs> but no, that's that's true. But yeah, that was not viable. It was not viable, and it was not the sort of. I mean, you just realized. So anyway, I instead of picking up people, I took the cab to go put in applications and shit. And uh, that was the one I got was Ron John. So I was at Ron John Surf Shop in Cocoa Beach working in the warehouse for two years. I <laughs> folded fucking t-shirts for eight hours a day from five a.m. to two p.m. And that was the first thing that, you know, after, so I could get some kind of work on my resume. Cause other than that, you have like a seven year black hole in your, <laughs> yeah. you know? stand up does that. Yeah. yeah. What did you do during these points? Were you uh, an illegal operative, a secret agent? Uh, do you... Right. And for me, what people horrible look at thing me and, was it? Yeah. And for me, it's, it's people think drug dealer or people think prison time. You know what drug I mean? User. Right. Exactly. Well, well, certainly. Yeah. So you worked for Ronald and Johnson. I work for, I work, there is, uh, there is no John. There's only Ron. <laughs> there is no John. What a conspiracy. Yep. That's right. Uh, I did that for two, for two. I mean, I'm, I'm not, you know, mostly it was stickers on flip flops. If I'm being completely honest, I kind of made myself the flip flop and skateboard guy and that sort of shit. But yeah, 5.00 AM to 2.00 PM. I drove to the Ron John surf shop warehouse, get as stoned as possible. I was going out to my car, Every break, lunchtime, I'm sure I reeked of weed. Nobody cared. Nobody ever said anything. So I was just putting stickers on shoes, you know? Mm. And I did that for two years. Right, because you were always, I mean, you did kind of represent that comedian who was just hustling without a job for a long time with me. I was always working as a waiter. And, you know, you got mixed feelings no matter if you're working or not working about the other side, you know? Sure. And well, I mean, I'd be more successful if I had devoted more time to this. Could I make that money if I didn't spend it working at a waiter? You know, whatever. And you call me hustling all you want. I lived with my grandma for free, you know, towards the end of the year, I was maybe making a hundred, 150 bucks a week tops. Doing real. I had a five, 
$100 month. I had a $500 week. I don't remember how often I made a lot of money, but I could usually count on a hundred, 150 bucks, maybe a week, you know, bag of weed, tank of gas, you know? Right. And I could have probably worked. I don't know. I just kind of never did. (laughs) (laughs) There wasn't a voice nagging like, Uh, Maybe I should apply to Subway today. I was like, no, I'm going to be a comedian. I'm going to eventually be noticed for my prize winning humor and I will be vaulted to success and money. Yeah. And that was part of it is because I would, you know, I killed a lot. I was, I was getting a lot of, I was crushed. I mean, there's comedians who, you know, like I I feel fine about saying I was in the top half of every show I was in, but I wasn't necessarily always the person who like brought the house down and was the one people talk about outside immediately. But you were. More often than not, you were that person. It, it definitely happened a lot. And, you know, and it's, it's I don't know. You know, it's a yeah, weird which thing. Can, that, which can lead to a harder fall, maybe. Who knows? I mean, well, that's, there is a lot of pressure. So, like, the, especially it's small, you do a small open mic. Um, you, you know, some bar show, right? I had a, I did a bar show one time where I did like an hour and I mur- and of course, why are you doing an hour? But I was like the last guy, you know, the, mm-hmm. the headline, the open mic headline spot. And I did like an hour and they had a wireless mic and I went around and talked to every person in the room. It's that sort of shit that can only happen that moment, mm-hmm. you know? And it like, it, I mean, it's one of the best, you know, people went nuts for it. People really right. had a great time for an hour. And then immediately it's like, hey, man, you coming back next week? And it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it's like, no, I, I hoped I would just have burned this place to the ground after that amazing performance and do yeah. it again somewhere else tomorrow. Yeah. I, and, you know, and then you're going to come back and, and I'm not, it's certainly the jokes you're going to know already. And what am I going to do? Just talk to everybody again? Is it going to happen the same way? None of that shit's going to. So you, there's a mm-hmm. weight of expectation that you can kind of wither underneath because it's, I, I, I would rather people just have the one good set in their mind than, oh, you remember that one time when that was made? I wish we, you know. Legendary set that you can never yeah. repeat. Yeah. You know, and then like, and to even show up and try again, because there is the part of you that understands, too, that that was kind of a weird special moment that happened because the whole group kind of agreed to let it happen. It wasn't just me, you know. Right, right. It's. I wonder if there's a certain class of comedian that, just can never recreate those results in the way that you're supposed to when you film a special or when you get to that certain benchmark, that randomness, that, that improvisation, the spontaneity, all that kind of stuff. There must be thousands of comedians who thrive in that. But then, you know, when you change that, it's uh, different. As soon as we're all going to sit in a nice little room and we're wearing a collared shirt because we went out tonight and <laughs> there is something about that that changes, you know? Mm. And that's the same thing, but, but, but putting me in front of those people, that's exactly it. Like you see, the regular people who dress up and want to look nice because they're going out and are trying to enjoy themselves by going to, you know, one of those adult playground sort of places like the Seminole mm. Casino was where that improv. And then right. who's going to be your entertainment for tonight? And it's this, I'm this unwashed heavy metal guy who wants to shout at them about his penis. I can kind of understand the, you know, like the, the, the bridge is to the, the, what are the, the uncanny valley, um, that's not really, like the malapropism, but you perfect, know, like perfect mean. analogy, you know, that's right. Yeah. Um, well, here's a question then. What do you think if you had not been in Hollywood, Florida, but you happen to be in Austin, Texas or Seattle or some kooky place like that, where the clubs may have fucking loved 
your crazy bar shit as is. Do you think, do you ever think of stuff like that? Sure. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think Florida kind of sucks. That's kind of an anomaly here is the Florida factor. It's, it's weird. It's a, it's a cultural black hole. There's little, little pinpricks of light, but for the most part, it's a place where people go to drink outside, you know? And, and many kinds of people more, a lot of people say that the, the diversity factor, I mean, it can enrich comedy in awesome ways, but there's no real like stand-up scene, stand-up cohesion. Yeah. And in the crowd that shows up too, there's not necessarily any one culture we can all relate to. I think some of the crowd work in Miami was fantastic because there were so many different people to play off of. Yes, definitely. the, The racial comedy in Florida, I think, was accepted at a level that if you took it to other places in the country, you'd get booed off stage or you'd be accused of not being woke, but I I experienced that personally. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, The difference in doing, doing the the kind of jokes and talking about the kind of shit I would talk about in South Florida and versus just going to Orlando and Mm. Orlando, it's all of a sudden central Florida and predominantly white. So all of a sudden what I'm saying is my true feelings that comes from a place of hate, you know, it's just the way it's just the right. Right? You're like, no, I I have a Colombian friend. Like you talked about fun things. No, you're talking, Oh, uh -oh. right. You're talking about Muslims. Yeah. I don't know. You know, whatever. I mean, that's, I'm not going to be the guy that complains about that sort of shit either. Whatever, you know? Right. Right. But just uh, analyzing in, in, you know, the post game. No, it's interesting. Yeah. But I, I do, I do. I, it, it would have been good. I, if I, I probably would have been a comedian longer if I had moved somewhere for two reasons. One, I would have probably had to work if I had moved and that would have established a, a more, a, a life where I took care of myself. You know what I mean? Where I actually <laughs> had to, that sort of thing. And then on top of that, yeah, I do think getting me in another environment probably would have stretched at least if not stretch, uh, out and out, you know, success and all that. It would have probably stretched it out a little bit longer and put me in a different position, you know. Mm-hmm. What, were you ever thinking of moving? Yeah. It was always a thing I was kind of afraid of, I think. Like when Mike Lawrence things. did it and you were like, whoa, this guy's newer than me. But, but he wasn't newer than me. I wanted, no, no, no. But it, I was still really new. Oh, but you were both green. We were both, yeah, pretty, you know, I don't know how long he'd been doing it, but not much. He'd been doing it like a year longer than something like that. I don't know. Right. Yeah. From what I understood, he moved pretty early. In the career yeah. where I knew people who did that and moved to LA and New York. And I'm like, really? You think you're ready to go? I don't yeah. think I'm ready to go. How do you think you're ready to go? But right. going there makes you ready faster sometimes. That's, I think part of it. Yeah. Or it'll destroy you faster. Right. Or that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you're destroyed in the capital of the world or wherever you've moved and you could build your new life there. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. If you didn't do comedy do you think you would have found your way to it or what do you think would have happened to you if you didn't find standup? Uh, that's a hard one. I, uh, it, it, I could see myself trying all kinds of way. I could have, I, if I had uh, focused on music more, I could have, I would have probably wound up in a few bands or something when I was young. I think that mm-hmm. sort of thing, maybe. Um, I have the, I'm a song and dance man a little bit and it's a thing I'm embarrassed about, you know, where you, <laughs> I have the urge to uh, perform for people a little bit. It's a difficult thing. I find myself doing it. You get embarrassed by it. You know what I mean? When you realize when you're talking to a stranger and you're turning it on a little bit, what the Mm. fuck are you doing? So, you know, I might've just been a really, really annoying person that you run into (laughs) the kind of guy who scoots next to you at the bar and pretends he's not, you know? Right. The funny guy at the office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of, yeah. You'd you'd be slapping all the the sandal stickers on your face and like, oh, I'm a pair of sandals. Uh Look at me. There, there would be a hole that you needed to fill, though. 
there probably was. And it's not like, uh, I, I think that is a big, I, I think, uh, because I, you know, had such, I got a lot of approval out of doing comedy, even at the level that I did. And I think that developmentally, even though we're talking about a man who was in his late twenties, I think developmentally I needed that a little bit. Um, and, and once I got it, you know, and you realize, okay, so this kind of, this level of approval, this level of appreciation doesn't really, that that's not tied to anything else in comedy. You know what I mean? So mm. I, I kind of like satisfied that hunger, so to speak. And, and, you know, I realized that I don't, once you can have that and you, you can kind of, you can kind of love yourself a little bit. You, you know what? God damn it. I was good at that. I, uh, you know, say what you yeah. want. I did that, you know, then you don't necessarily need it all the time. And, uh, you know, I don't know, like I said, I'm a weird introverted guy. So it's like, it's really nice to know that I did do that and that I had that, you know, um, and I feel like that has gifted me when I'm in conversation with people, when I'm interacting with people at work or out in the world, I have a level of comfort and, uh, and skill with conversation that I can kind of click on and click off when I need it. And that's been really great. That's been a really helpful thing. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I don't necessarily feel the urge to just get out there, man, and get up on the stage and tell the fucking truth or whatever kind of shit people used to say, you know? Right. Cause uh, it's like, I, I got a lot of laughs. I know I can get laughs. I probably can't get much money. I'm not particularly interested in sex. What is there in comedy then? You know? <laughs> Damn. When you break it down like that. Yeah. I got to take a piss real bad. We can do it yeah, on yeah, mic yeah. if you don't mind. I don't care. You know, but I just want to alert you instead of trying to get away with it in the background. <laughs> it's fine. We could take a, a, a minute to get another beer and refresh our, our biologicals. Yeah, that sounds great. Did you have an enjoyable passing of liquids? Yes. My stream was mighty. Ah, because just because I pulled we my balls, balls over. That's it? I don't know who these guys are out there living their whole lives, just pulling their wang out and then having this like conflicting feeling underneath the wang where the stream is getting pierced by this elastic band. That's right. That's right. And then at the same time, some guys I know try to go dick out, but they undo the zipper and just pull their dick out of their underwear. But I'm not trying to solve a puzzle here, you know? <laughs> yeah. that's. Uh, the, I think that's the greatest generation who uh, kept, the, <laughs> kept the belt on, did the fly, navigated out of the hole and then, yeah. reset the hole i can never do that under pressure i'm always just kind of feeling around because you don't just have to open the hole you have to open the hole and unroot your dick out from your you know it's stuck to your leg because you're fucking gross and sweaty and fat you know and it's just a disaster just undo everything over the top you know it's not just gross, gross sweaty fat dicks my friend you you still got it in your head if only fat girl could know the lack of offense you meant yeah no i really it's one of the i mean it's it, it's a shameful thing. I realized maybe the mistake I made was trying to have like an avuncular energy with her about something like that. Cause I was immediately trying to be like, come on, let me show you how it's done. kid." You know, mm. I've been, I've been <laughs> shaming my body for years. Right. Right. And you know what it is? It's kind of the, when you're at home in a scene and you have your friends and you have those relationships, there's a certain, I don't know if it's a safety net, but there's a comfort in knowing that mm -hmm. kind of all your stuff is going to land the way that you intended it to, because that's there's true. people in the room who know you well enough. Yeah, that's true. Whereas a couple of years out of the scene, man, boy, you get 
forgotten real quick. And people come along and new comics and all of a sudden, Oh, you do comedy. Did you do comedy? They think you're two months in, you know, and, right. and they don't blame them. <laughs> no, not at all. But and I definitely get that again. Cause I look like such a strange person. Mm. Not even straight, whatever. I'm just not your typical. Yeah. You know, for someone who was arguably like, what would you call I, I was, you know, a bar comic like or whatever. a metal Viking, uh, berserker warrior. Right. But then try to use big words and also be drunk and shout at people. You know, that, that was sort yes. of the, 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 kind of the, the metalhead who would reference the teapot dome scandal. Right. Yes, absolutely. Uh, that's funny that that's what sticks with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Little things pop out. That's funny that uh, don't push the red button. A couple of things. Oh yeah. Of course that one. That's an all time play. Yeah. Classics. I think of that every morning before I get in the shower. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, well, here's a, a question that you can feel free to answer as little or as long as you want, but a lot of your material did come from at least a, a, a perceived or played uncomfortableness with your body. Um, I'm sensing that you haven't come too far on that, but I'm wondering, <laughs> um, if you have it all and how you, how you feel about that as one of your main comedic themes. Yeah. You come to realize uh, as you get old, like I've, I've always never been comfortable with my body, never been comfortable with myself that way. And you come to realize as you're older that that's sort of generalized. Ang- it's, it, it, it's, it's, the, it's something like anxiety. It's something like uh, depression, things like that. And then it's, it's the, the certain things about you that you pick to have them play out, you know, mm. for whatever reason. Um, I've just never, I've just always kind of, I was always a fat little kid. I was a fat big kid, rather. I was tall and pudgy. I had a, you know, big gut and everything. But you never and, saw yourself as like a big, strong kid. You saw yourself as a big, fat kid. Yeah. It's the big, strong kid thing. That's that's only good for a few seconds when you're lifting something or, or getting in a fight or something. And, and then otherwise, the rest of the time, you know, your ass crack's hanging out and your kids touch your belly. You know what I mean? when you sit down. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's weird. I'm, I'm, I'm a lot more comfortable with myself now, to be honest with you. But at Good. the same time, I'm realistic. Uh, I, uh, I don't find my... Uh, the power just went out because of COVID, I guess. So um, I'm calling Matt back on the phone. Sorry if the Hello. recording quality is inferior. Hello. Hello. There he is. This should be okay. The recording quality shouldn't be too much worse. But I, I like. Want to rob people? I, I like that. Uh, of the magic. That's right. I want to hear those dulcet tones you got. That's right. Golden pipes, baby, coming at you live, Central Florida, Cocoa Beach. <laughs> Checking with traffic and weather. Now, I like mm-hmm. I like that COVID knocked the power out right as I was uh, asking you about your personal deep felt feelings uh of body dysmorphia and then it's like nah this is bullshit click and then you went on you went on talking for what could have been minutes to nobody um yeah yeah exposing deep personal truths that will probably no one will ever hear now yeah well no i mean that was kind of my act though i'm I'm pretty pretty open about the the kind of weirdo that i am you know i've I've always felt like uh, i was fat when i was kid i'm fat now but like not like not like I'm mostly people shaped, but I'm very soft in the middle. 
You know what I mean? A very unimpressive without my clothes on sort of thing. And that's always been a thing that, that you know, it just you just notice. And but, if you have any kind of anxiety or depression, it's a corner for you to, it's a little, you know, thing for a fingernail to get under and pick at, you know? Uh-huh. And, you know, I would always counter, and I still feel like it, like, someone out there wants what you are, like, big time. Like, there are ladies out there who like a man with a big belly and big body who can, like, throw it down on them Viking style. And Yeah, no. And I feel like, I know it's, you know, because I feel the same thing, that I'm a skinny little piece of crap that no woman would want me for the same but opposite reasons, you know? But yet I've I've come to realize over time that like no some chicks like this and some people like that and some people like that, but but sure but fundamentally you still feel that like because you got a, a crease here or a crack there that uh you're not worthy of love. No, no, I don't think so at all. I just think that that's um that's like I was saying. If you have any kind of anxiety or depression, that's just a thing. For episodes, you know, when you get underneath there, and then, mm. uh, you know, just when you have that in your head, and just, then you're, you know, okay. especially comedy, the way I was doing it, that's the kind of thing I'm going to talk about. A chorus. You know, it's sort of, yeah. you bring your lowest moments, you know, um, but uh, on top of that, you know, I mean, you knew, you knew me for fucking five or six years. I was one of the, I was one of the, like we were saying, I was a very successful comedian in the comedian social scene sort of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um it would have been really easy to bang other comics. I, it's just not a sort of thing that I, I just don't really have the urge. It's just not a thing that's, I just don't feel like it's missing from my life. Right. You know, I, uh, that's I've a, only that's been, a blessing. I've been I've, yeah, you know, especially the older I get, man, I really, but it's one of those things where it's like, I've been in a handful of romantic relationships in my life. They last for a couple of weeks. It's really, you really kind of realize I don't, have what this person wants and I don't want what this person has hmm. and you know it's uh and it, it's kind of unfair to do to people to trap people up in these weird bad relationships and make them work when fundamentally I'm just kind of happier by myself hmm. um, well do you think there's a person yeah, out there that weird. would fit better maybe I don't know I'm not completely close to the idea but I'm just I'm not it, it's, it's like so I'm not uh it's just not a, it's not a thing you know what I mean right it's not something you hang your hat on every single day person I don't think of myself you know all that sort of stuff mm-hmm. um, so and, you know that's part of it too uh, so then uh, when that for the kind of for the whole melange of what makes the whole body dysmorphia a strange thing you know what I mean spice melange um, so it's when you have the when you there's a few of those key elements that I have and uh, when you have those it just makes that that sort of self-loathing comedy really uh, easy because I'm sort of detached from myself as a sexual being. You know what I mean? Hmm. So like, you know, when I make fun of my body for being obviously, it's you know, it's because it does. I don't look like the kind of dudes that I presume chicks want to fuck. Um, but it, it, it's it's just it's mostly just like when you like I said when you take off your clothes, you get in the shower or whatever, and you see your reflection in the mirror for five seconds every day, and you just go ugh. I can be honest about that. Why not? That's 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 a real feeling that I have, and because it's not, because I I I I, I I'm not actually so burdened by the fact that I'm single, and I'm not actually so burdened by the fact that I feel like I'm not good at romance and sex and stuff. I can be honest about something that is a a, a, a real hang up for other people, and and for me, it's just like a thing I can play with a little bit, and you know, be honest and be open about because I do feel that way, but. It's same time it's not a huge hang up for me the way there are i'm sure there, there's people whose the 
way they feel about their body really uh, is, a, is a, a big thing that ruins their life, you know, just the way they, they feel about that sort of stuff and the way it changes the way they interact with the world. Whereas for me, it's more just like a background. I presume I'm flirting with no one and I try to interact with the world as as much like a cousin as possible. You know what I mean? <laughs> Interesting. Right. So in a way, you're making other people who have the same root fears feel more comfortable about the things they're afraid of because you can go there in a, in a more comfortable way. Um, yet you don't seem to be alleviating your own fears about how silly that stuff is. Or, or you kind of do because right. you're, you're so detached that it's not something you're concerned about or it's something you've internalized to the point where it doesn't concern you anymore. Yeah, it, 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 it's, oh. I've kind of, you know, you accept who you are as a person, right? There's, there's a lot of different kinds of body dysmorphia people. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, like, I'm not a food and exercise, I'm not a diet and exercise type. That's, you know, you're kind of lucky if you get that one. I'm, I'm sure that's a rude thing to say, but you're kind of lucky if you get that one. Mm -hmm. And then, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm more of a, I'm more of a just, like I said, you know, in, in the background, I just, I just, I'm not interacting with humanity on a certain level, you know, just because of the way I feel about myself. Right. Um, a certain now, hermit on the you know, hill. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That said, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm kind of lucky in that I, I'm really not uh, the most, I'm not the horniest guy, I don't, I'm not the loneliest guy, so I'm really lucky in that regard because it doesn't impact my life that way, and that's why I feel like I can be honest about it. I think most people, if we're, you know, like most people have a degree of body shame. That's like a normal thing to have. And then when you, uh, as an intelligent person, you know, you try to be or whatever. So it's like me, you know, the whole pinch an inch thing where it's like I can grab several handfuls and flap them at you. You know what I mean? So like there's there's a there's an objective truth to it, too. That's not just like the optimistic, positive power thinking. Mm -hmm. And so if I can live in those worlds, you know, it's a way you can sort of sublimate those feelings uh, without having to dwell on them. And I do think it really helped me, to be honest with you, because it's, you, you really can make peace with who you are and how you feel about yourself when you shout it at strangers <laughs> night after night, you know? <laughs> Damn. I, 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 even if I'm not the most, even if I'm not, um, you know, mm -hmm. even if uh, a motivational speaker wouldn't necessarily be happy with the, the way I view the world, I can argue with them very well about the way I view the world and for the most part, uh, I, it's, it's a thing that I've been able to, it's not sublimate, right? They, uh, humor is one of the adult ways of dealing with trauma, right? There's only like two or three psychologically recognized, there's like, uh, humor, sublimation, and I don't know what the other one is right Pain? now. You know what I mean? Right. Crying? Shit. Yeah, that might be it. Something like that. And, but, uh, you know, so I, I really think that that's, that's one, I, 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 I sort of know who I am as a person and how I want to move through the world. And part of what really helped me was that sort of thing, shouting my insecurities and weaknesses at strangers mm. uh, to the point where now I take them as given. I don't dwell on them. I don't feel weird about them. I don't, you know, it's just, I'm this guy. Right. And that's fine. Form you know? So it's a form of self-acceptance, you know, a... I, I think definitely a lot of the stuff I used to, I mean, I did, I did, you know, the whole, the, I did material about liking big dick porn, mm -hmm. which again, that's like a thing where I was like, I would never say this to another person. And now it's like, well, instead I'm going to shout it at, you know, a group of people. people every night for, 
years on end, you know? And right. then you come out of it on the other side going, yeah, you don't have a dick that's that big, but you don't have a dick that's... You have a normal dick. Most people have normal dicks. That's why people like monster cock porn. It's okay. Right. You, you, know? like, you like going and to see a, have the, a blockbuster superhero yeah, movie. Right. Right. And you can have the fun of the, of the fetish type thing and also operate in the real world understanding that the people around you don't have giant dicks and you don't and you haven't been slighted and all that sort of shit, you know? Mm. <laughs> right. Right. So it definitely sounds like in the end it was a healthy coping mechanism even if the you know the process itself was was not easy yeah i think so i think it really helped me grow emotionally i think it really helped me become a more confident person i think you know i like just one of those i can hang in conversation and win arguments with people that are not prepared for that sort of shit at all yeah i, I bet know, do people people see you insult me mm-hmm. people see you and think they you're going to be a certain type of person and then they're amazed with like how eloquent and loquacious you are yeah, and on top of that, that I, I'm not just immediately saying what they thought I was going to say based on their, you know, their prepared, you know, I mean, and I'm not decrying that sort of thing either, of course. You know, I live in the world. You have to make, you, you know, you. the trick is to, it's okay to judge people. You just have to be willing to update that judgment. You know what I mean? Hmm. You just have to always be willing to judge again. So, of, co- of course, functionally, you're going to judge. When you're walking around, you make judgments about things and people. It's just as long as the file is still open and you can double-click it again, then, then you'll be okay. You're not a huge asshole. You know what I mean? Mm, that, is, that is an amazing way to put it, right? Because right, a lot of people are like, I don't want to judge you. It's like, no, this is, it's natural to judge something. Is it good, bad, evil, pure, whatever? Um, but being open to always revise that judgment is, is yeah. huge. Yeah. Um, in that same respect, do you ever think that maybe you learned the wrong lessons about yourself or you didn't learn, maybe you learned something that's only half truth or you learned the wrong thing yeah, about like, yourself? I mean, I should have just, I should have just gone to fucking college, man. You know what I mean? I'm bright enough. If I could have just put up with doing homework and paying attention and, and, and the hierarchy of the classroom, you know, that sort of shit, I, I'd be fine right now. I mean, you went for two years though, right? You didn't, you didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just don't like it. I just don't like it. And there's a, but part of that definitely, especially uh, going back to the, when I was a kid, I hated school. Of course, I hate fuck. I just hate fucking school. There, there's no two ways about it. Mm-hmm. I just don't like it. But then, as an adult, it's even harder. Not only are you, you know, now I'm a 27 year old man sitting in a room full of 19, 20, 21 year olds, uh, and then uh, I've developed a. I've developed a personality type from stand up and from interacting in the world that that way that makes it very difficult to uh, to participate in a real way in those kind of situations. You know, you you kind of mm. make you're always a bit detached, you know, from those kind of things where you anything that feels like hoop jumping you just kind of detach from. You know, and you don't interact with in a real way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, it definitely did. You know, it's one of those things. And if I had just fucking, if I had just when I was a kid been able to just eat, my, I mean, I was, I was bright enough. You know, and I mean, I look around at the world. I look at myself. I was bright enough to get some kind of middling degree that would have put me in some kind of middling position in my <laughs> life very, very easily. And that's a message that my parents tried to communicate to me, and I just couldn't understand because you don't have that kind of wisdom, right? You know. I mean, and, and it sounds shitty at that point. I mean, right? It's like they're telling yeah. you to aspire to something safe and stable. And you're like, no, I, a million people have done that. I want to do something different and make a splash. 
Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. and also have fun. That's the part of life mm. that people discount as not being important, right? You're supposed to put off fun until you're about to die. And then when you know for a fact you're about to die, that's when you can spend some money and go on little trips and eat at nice restaurants. <laughs> right. You know? Have a little bucket list in your wheelchair, go to Disney and Paris. Yeah. Right. It's safe to have fun now because soon you'll be dead. You don't have to worry. Everybody else needs to be working and saving and stuff, you know? Yeah. I wonder if our generation being less a part of the investing and like being able to actually make a living if the lack of that mm-hmm. has led to us emphasizing fun more or if that was just the natural progression of kind of, you know, the more secure your parents yeah. are, the, then the children can be artists, that kind of a thing, you know? Right. It's probably a lot of, I mean, it's probably all those things that have created this wave of people like that. Um, but yeah, but I mean, our, our generation is, seems to appreciate experiences and things more than material. I mean, I'm, a, I'm still a degenerate collector of, of weird things, but... Mm-hmm. For the most part, you know, more interested in experiences and, and uh, socializing than um, than most other aspects of life, you know. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've also been consumer cultured to death to the point where you know that's how a lot yeah. of us only express ourselves through whether we like or dislike various pieces of pop culture. Yeah, that's really true. That's one of those things. As a heavy metal guy, people really struggle with. Uh, uh, you know, part of the fun of being a heavy metal guy is hating stuff. That doesn't mean I hate <laughs> you. So when I don't like the band you like or I don't like the thing you like, I'm not rejecting you as a person. Mm. I'm just being a fun, cranky old man, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and that that's, I've noticed that when I interact with people and I try to interact with people on that level where they're like, where I'm being honest and also, you know, having fun with who I am as a person. Do you like this? No, I fucking hate that. It's garbage. Yeah, you you go on and on about it. Part of the fun of my identity is is finding a way to, you know, it's okay that I hate stuff and it's okay that I don't like the stuff that people think you're supposed to like. And in fact, you can really take a lot of glee and, you know, that sort of thing. But socially, when we're in, especially because, like you're saying, we, we all wear brands and we all wear labels. Uh, so do you like this sort of thing? If you do, you're probably the sort of person who likes me. You don't like this thing, you probably don't like me. Or is he mm. saying he doesn't like this thing because it is me that is suggesting it? And all that sort of shit that goes on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very difficult. It's very difficult. So for the most part, you find yourself doing one of two things having a conversation like this before you talk about stuff with people, or you just kind of go, yeah, that's fine, or no, I haven't seen that. Uh-huh. And then what do you like? I like concrete wins, you know? <laughs> um, well, here's a question. Are you still a comedian? Mm-hmm. I do think of myself as a comedian. Are you a stand-up comedian? I definitely comedian? do. Mm, that's what I was, so that's what makes me a comedian. Right. But, uh, so but I guess the stand-up. technically, yes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, I, I do feel that way. It's weird. I never, even though I, I mean, here, here's where I launch into the, oh God, I'm going to hate myself if I ever hear this back. But yeah, <laughs> like I disconnected from doing stand up, but you know, I still listen to comedy podcasts, man. I still hear what people are talking about. But that, you know, that is kind of true. And I do still, I love comedy history. When I was a kid, I came out of, um, you know, I had Saturday Night Live tapes and I, I, when we were, God, it was, you know, there was uh, The Daily Show, and after that was Tough Crowd with Colin Quinn, and mm. there was one magical summer where uh, it was 
Saturday Night Live uh, reruns. Uh, it was Conan O'Brien, then Saturday Night Live, then they played old SCTV. I mean, I'm, you yeah. know, I fucking, I, I come from the Petri dish in a weird way. It is an elemental part of who I am. I feel like I've shared in those experiences. I know joke structure. I, I understand timing, you know, whatever, as much as a guy who uh, fucking folded t-shirts for two years after he quit comedy camp, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. But I, I, I do, you know, in, in the way that, uh, in the way that, uh, as a life experience and as, a, as the way it shapes you as a person, maybe the way once someone's been, uh, once someone's been to war, or once someone's been, I, I don't know, something like yeah, that, where it's, it's an like often used experience yeah. that changes who you are, mm-hmm. you know? But yeah, I definitely do. I do still think of myself as a comedian, at least in the sense of when I'm reading an article or watching a show about comedy, I can understand it a little deeper than a normal person, mm-hmm. you know? Shit like that, if I allow myself the dalliance, you know? Hmm. Well, let me, oh, let me pause for these emergency vehicles. There's some... 18, uh, 18 fire uh, trucks going by my place, which probably, yeah, I can, I can see the, um, the traffic light is out, so it, some shit went down. Mm-hmm. It's happening, Matt. I'm an agent of chaos. Grab your dried wolf meat and meet me in the bunker. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Mm. Oh, I have uh, I have a jug of water and a jug of piss, and eventually one will become the other, brother. <laughs> Just switch them off. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Perpetual energy. That's nice. Um, That's right. <laughs> uh, it's it's weird. How do you think these other comedians are dealing with Corona? It's such a weird thing. I think a lot of comedians are going to kind of be forced into quitting faster than they would have normally. Um, Definitely. And I guess the other comedians are just going apeshit crazy right now. I mean, if I had to stop doing comedy back then when we were cracking along in the thousands, it would have, uh, I would be trying to do comedy on these online web uh, open mics and all these t- terribly, yeah, terribly, uh, some are fine. Some of the online stand up is cool, but good Lord, a lot of it is not. I don't, I don't, yeah, I'm sure it's not. It seems, it definitely seems the podcast is the way to go or something like that for right now if you want to do comedy. And it's different. It's not stand-up. Right. But uh, Same muscles, but, though. Yeah. Muscle groups. It's got to be weird. You think about the guys who were just making it, and that's who I feel the worst for, mm-hmm. you know? The guys who were just road features or who were just starting to be able to headline themselves and were just starting to tour and right. all that sort of shit. And now this shit is over, and it's, you know, fuck. At least for now, I mean. Yeah, yeah, it's coming back, but it's it's gonna be a while. It is, yeah. Well, we'll see, and hopefully, uh, they can all get back to doing comedy, so this podcast actually stands out amongst all the seventy thousand podcasts released from you comedians twiddling your thumbs. You know, you have the people who did comedy a few times and hated it, or didn't do well, or whatever, and then you have people like me who did it for years and then you have the people who just do it for a few months and kind of come and go we mm. knew those people too in south florida you know there was hobbyists there was a sort of pool of people there was the people you would see kind of once or twice a year then there mm-hmm. was people you'd see every few weeks and then there's the people you'd see every night right but they still kind of file in and out you know yeah it is a bus where people get up people get off and someone else takes the seat like it, it gets yeah it keeps moving um the interesting thing like 
hobbyists is something that when you start doing comedy and you really get obsessed with it, you look down on the hobbyists because, oh, they're not committing to comedy 100% like me. But now with this perspective, I see that hobbyists might love comedy. I'm not going to say more, but as much as a hardcore comedian because they're doing it because they fucking love it because they want to do it right. not because they want to get a career not because they're trying to impress people and work their way up the ladder and reshape the game and be one of the greats they just want to be funny and make people laugh and even though they're a shitty dentist most of the time or they have some day job like i appreciate it in a way that i never did when i was back there yeah that's really great you're right about that i i, I can see a lot of that that makes a lot of sense and it's it's just like you know, with the like with anything else, people doing it for the love of doing it are probably closer to why they should be doing it. You know, mm. it's the same with bands and shit. But even if taking them closer to why they love doing it takes them further from being successful at it. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. You know, that's definitely a possibility because I mean, I I don't even know. I haven't been doing. It's been like seven years since I've really been doing comedy, so I presume. It's roughly the same, and I presume that you know, medium energy guy in a button-down shirt is still what everybody's supposed to be, and you're supposed to be, you know, a little bit edgy. Not edgy's not the word. You're supposed to make soccer moms kind of guffaw, you know, mm. and that's about as far as you push it. God, you know, what an asshole I am. I would say, <laughs> I would say it's like half that, but the other half is definitely the the more woke school of comedy. Our society in general has gotten more woke and sensitive to terms and ideologies and identities and stuff. Um, And I think a lot of comedy, you know, one of the biggest criticisms of comedy these days is that it's too worried about being right than being funny. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, You know, I think we're almost getting to the point where we're getting over that. Like it's already hit its peak a few few years ago. But it's it's definitely still one of the... uh, and just in a weird way, like, I was going to make a a video game about stand-up comedy years ago um, with, like, a bad RPG maker thing. And when I, sure. I still, I still want to make it, um, but when I think about it now versus years ago, there's a huge veil of, like, identity and wokeness and representation that I would have to write into the game that I totally just was not thinking about earlier. I definitely thought diversity is important. Of course, diversity. But as far as the storytelling and the identity and the just kind of unrepeatable jokes because they're so personal. Yeah. Um, well, you know, they're, they're, maybe your game should be called White Male Comedian and then, then maybe that's okay. <laughs> that's exactly. I was going to like start it like that and be like, statistics said that you're a white male that's not how it always is but for the sake of game simplicity and that i can't write a different narrative for each different race uh we're gonna keep it simple (laughs) but yeah it's a big i I see it as kind of messy that way yeah i can understand that's one of those things that would be very difficult that's the thing i thought about too because i was i was a filthy comedian and for the most part i didn't do I, I I probably I would probably get in a little bit of trouble. I don't know what kind of trouble an open mic bar comedian could get, but I'm I'm sure there would have been public disputes or something with somebody because mm-hmm. of the kind of stuff I would talk about. You know, right? If we transplant had like, that sort of thing, your your act from back then to right now in a bar, right? Would it fly over the same way? 
Right. I mean, probably not, but also you would have adjusted it living in the real world. Yeah. Yeah, that, of course. Of course that's the case. You know, as much as you want to... The, the, that's the point, too, is like as much as comedy is this sort of... The people want it to be an ideological razor like that, but the point is to make people laugh. Mm-hmm. If you're not doing that, you're not doing comedy. You're doing some other kind of public speaking, which is fine. There's like a whole tradition of that that goes back to ancient Greece, right? But <laughs> uh, stand up philosophy and all that sort of shit, you know, with fucking... Uh, <laughs> and what is it? doesn't matter. Mel, Mel Brooks, right? Mm-hmm. Um but Mel Brooks fucking, always um, matters. Mel Brooks is a living legend. Yeah, a still living legend. For a couple like more months. Yeah, knock, knock. Yeah, <laughs> we're going to hook them up. That's right. She can be the new Anne Bancroft. Um, yeah, no, yeah, that, but that, that's definitely the case. I, I do think you're kind of, that. that's another thing I struggle with when it comes to continuing to do stand-up where it's like, I. it's hard to, it's hard to express an idea like I don't necessarily want to entertain everyone. You know, then again, well, what kind of pretentious or weird or hateful asshole are you? But I don't want to entertain everyone. And mm. I don't know that I could do that. I don't know that I could build an act. I don't know that I'm capable of it. And the compromises I would have to make to try, now that's that's a level of work and effort where it's like I might as well be wearing a collar and making cold calls to people hmm. and doing all this kind of shit that I never wanted to do, you know? Damn. Yeah. And there's a certain level to it where it's, it's, it's no longer, you know, living your dream and following your or any of that stuff. It turns into a thing that you, you flatly don't like and don't want to do. And then at that point, it's like, well, I can do, if I have to do that, why what, Why wouldn't I do something I don't really care about, you know? Hmm. Uh, and then you just get a normal job and live that life. That's kind of one of the other things, you know, when I think about it, you know? It's like, there, in a lot of ways, it's the same amount of compromise and bullshit, and, but I don't care about my stupid job, you know? Hmm. Dude, I think you just hit to the heart of the podcast. Where Where is the line between not being able to hack it and not being able to do what it takes to reach the top and not wanting to do this shit and realizing what it takes to be to the quote-unquote top and deciding, yeah. I don't want this shit. This would ruin it for me. I hate this. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it's it's easy to, you know, sour grapes and all that sort of thing. And that's mm-hmm. probably partially true. But I mean, it's definitely the case that I'm not the kind of person who wants to, I don't like most people, you know, and I'm, I'm not, not because of any specific demographic reason, <laughs> you know, anybody might, because it's hard to express these ideas now. But, you know, most, I, I don't like most people. I don't want to interact with most people. Most people are not fun. And then you, you know, you, you so you're, you're 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 stepping from you're out from. Hey, we're in a bar. We're all getting drunk. We're all kind of trying to have fun. And and, and then comedy. There is an element of like intellectual battlefield. That's the thing that I never kind of liked about it either. When you get into the clubs, there is sort of a hmm. is a violence to it. There is the sort of people who show up not wanting to laugh or you know, wanting to. Laughter is not approval. That's one of the old things I used to say. You know, laughter is supposed mm. to be an involuntary response to something that you recognize. It is not saying, I approve of you and what you said. Mm. You know, and I, it, it's kind of a gray area. I can understand. But, but, but 
that's the point. You know, there's a an element of that when you get to the club level of comedy, I noticed for sure, where it's like laughter becomes approval at that point. And then I, I don't want to be the king of the party. You know, there's this thing that happens, right, mm. where you, you – so you're on stage and you're killing for however long you're on for five, ten minutes, let's be honest, right? And then you get <laughs> off and then people want to come up and talk to you, but really they, they want to continue that energy. They want to mm. continue that we're hanging out and he's the king of my party. Uh-huh. And it's like, I'm done. I'm done. That's that. We did that, you know? <laughs> Right, I'm just me now. I'm just um, I'm a human like you. I'm a human like you. You saw me do that, and now you know I, I I don't. I mean, I will be funny if you talk to me, probably, but I'm also going to be quiet and drink and silly and or whatever all these other things that I'm going to be. And I'm probably not comfortable with just hanging out with strangers and being complimented by strangers. That's horrific, don't you? <laughs> I mean, how do you you know what do you do in that situation? You can't avoid. You're not good at taking a compliment, uh, huh? No, no, it's a difficult thing to do. Mm. I don't, I don't, I'm not comfortable at all with compliments, unless it's something that, like, if it's something that I know I've worked very hard for, and instead of it being a compliment, it's more of an elaborate thank you or something like that, that's Mm -hmm. fine. You know, someone's just acknowledging, hey, I can see you tried really hard at this, and I appreciate that, thanks. Something like that, that's cool. But when it's, you know, people come up to you and they just give you some kind of weird open-ended compliment and I'm supposed to bask in their approval. Right. And, and, and what am I going to do with that? It doesn't, it doesn't land. It feels weird. I feel obligated to diminish it or to make a joke about how that's not true. <laughs> that creates a weird social interaction. There's all that shit that goes down and it, it's just not pleasant. You know? Interesting. You, you can't allow yourself yeah. to become, you can't just walk around going, I am fucking awesome. Cause then, then you're a terrible person, you know? Is that the road to being shitty? The road, yeah, I think so. Usually, unless there, there has to be, you can't just quietly think you're great. You know, mm. right? It's very hard. It's very hard to do that and not, even though you don't know. I'm sure you know. You just you, that's the whole. You make assumptions and the way you uh, uh, subconsciously interact with people, it changes if you do, and people will notice. It's for sure. You know. Hmm. That's really interesting because as bad as I am at taking compliments also, they did give me energy. They gave me sustain when I doubted myself. It'd be like, I didn't know if that was good or bad, but these people gave me really nice, genuine compliments, and I think I'll keep going. Um, yeah. As much as I forget them, uh, yeah, you never, you never saw them as validation. You never saw them as like some sort of cosmic well, there's an element of it where it's like, like if i killed or something you know if, if you kill or something it's like someone's gonna come up and and it's like i know i did well you know <laughs> i appreciate it i heard the I laughs asshole the, yeah <laughs> i know and even the you know the heights of that that level of of of, of arrogance but but at the same time it's like you know i did the comedy show very very well thank you thank you for telling me or whatever um but then it's so now now what now now what um mm. you know right because what 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 are we going to talk about now how are we going to interact with each other now because you know I, it, it just makes a really weird uncomfortable situation mm. 
like I was saying, like it, when, when it, it, it's great if you're trying to, to be like, oh, you enjoyed the show? Would you would you like to see or touch my genitals? It's a great opening, you know. Not really my thing. I've never uh, inflicted my sexuality upon others. It's just <laughs> it's, it's one of those things. Like I, I don't really participate with the world sexually. Like it's one of these. I have an easy cop out because it's like I don't know. I don't flirt. I don't fuck. I don't have girlfriends. I don't. I don't have to worry about that sort of shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So I do kind of have that, but um, I, I really don't. I don't know. But you, des- wanna... you deserve that, Matt. Just so you know, you deserve to be Thank able to you. to sexually harass rooms full of of uncomfortable women. And I did for years at a time. <laughs> But I did that, that was that was kind of huge. That was the joke, you know. That's oh, the thing. Right. It's like you're coming off but, so strongly as this like sexual creature, but if they were to actually talk to you in the back, they would have to push you the whole way to get you into the sack. Oh yeah. Well, and, yeah, I mean, come on. I'm a mess, man. I've always. I. I uh, you're a gorgeous I, Viking monster of a man. Yeah. But I'm, I'm also like like every time of every time I've tried to have sex, it's been more it's been embarrassing for multiple reasons. So now I have a natural response to avoid it. It's really weird. Mm. It's the thing that happens where if I try to flirt with girls and it starts to go well, I panic, and then it's a different feeling and it stops working because all of a sudden I'm like, oh god, oh god, oh god, oh god. There's all this sort of shit, man. I used to. Uh, fortunately, we live in a day and age where it's really easy to get your hands on Viagra and stuff. But I had a real problem because I was always so nervous and panicky mm. that I could never get my dick up, even when I really, really, really wanted to. It just wouldn't happen. Right. Just so you fear. have those experiences mm-hmm. more than a few times, and you go, "I'm not doing this anymore." I'd rather, I'd rather you just think of me as a nifty guy who's funny than as a weird, sad guy that can't get a dick up. You know. Hmm. So you were like doing work on behalf of your audience so that they didn't have to feel uncomfortable seeing you for who you really were? Uh, for seeing that part, for sure. Or just that part of you. It's not right. fun. It's not fun for yeah. It's not fun for a woman to be with a man who can't respond normally. You know. Yeah, like, but that's you know, they, not fun. It's women a are experience for them too. I sure. I don't. I don't uh, deny that. But there's definitely like that element of you know being more than just a hard dick and that women are good at being like, oh, you need some time to do X, Y, Z, like, and get comfortable with me? Yeah, like, I understand that that's a thing, you know, outside of the the Hollywood my context. Yeah. But, but, but yeah. But, but, but the, my, my experiences have been such that uh, I've only had a few, like, long-term relationships, and that it just doesn't work out emotionally because I'm not, like, I don't desperately, I, desperately, I'm already being a jerk, I don't really need someone around. I don't need to be around someone else all the time for some reason. Mm-hmm. So then on top of that, when it's like uh, uh, fucking is weird, that sort of thing falls apart. And then as a nightclub comedian, as a bar comedian, as a whatever comedian, it's one night stands and you're out. So it's like if, if you're not looking for that, you're not, what are you looking for? That's the Stanhope thing. It's either fuck a lot of people or don't ever fuck. Mm-hmm. Which is easy for me. I just don't, I, it's a, that's fine. But it's hard when with you when people want to flirt with you and you absolutely do not want to flirt back because you don't want to back yourself into a corner. It's it's hard to disengage from that sort of thing without being rude, without coming off as rude or mean or something. You know, mm-hmm. it's real. That is a difficult thing. That's actually a thing I've I've had happen more than once where it's like someone's trying to flirt with me. It's like, look, I don't want to have sex. I'm sorry. It's not you. It's me. But it's it's like 
what, what you can't just reject advances. You can't be disinterested. You have to kind of play this weird game where it's like, I'm going to continue to be nice to you in the weird familial way, and hopefully you'll get the message, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's, well, there's a lot to unpack there, as always, but you're being, oh, a lot, yeah. you're being a lot nicer to the other person than you are to yourself. Yeah, that's definitely true. But it's, it's, it's not fun, man. It's not fun. You're sitting there, you know, like, when it, I mean, fuck, it's, it's not fun being naked with someone and not being able to do it. It's just not fun. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, you know, and after, you, after that happens a few times, you just go, I don't want to put myself through this. I don't want to put you through this, you know? Yeah. You know, but there is a, there's definitely many, many ladies out there who feel the same way that you do. It's just a matter of finding that weird person, connecting with them, even if it's not the mainstream. Well, you know, and if that happens by random chance, that's fine, but I'm not looking. You know, like I said, sure, I really right. feel like something's missing. Because, like, you looking know? is a, uh, right, when something's missing, that sucks. And if to live your whole life yeah. looking for a piece of puzzle that's missing that you might never find is a shitty way to live your life, for sure. I Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm just, you know. There's a line between, like, being open to finding it and then being like, no, I don't deserve this puzzle piece, even if it is hard to find. I'm open to experience, but, like, it's just not a thing that I feel like is it's not a drive. in my life. It's not a primary drive. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Which, which is ironic in the grand scale of comedy where many people, probably primarily men, do get into comedy because they envision themselves getting laid after every show. Yeah. And I think that's, that is like, a, I mean, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but that is one of the reasons it's, it's not as, uh, you know, that that's one of the major rewards of comedy because it is a social enterprise. No matter what you're doing, you're, if you're doing stand up, that is a social thing that you're doing. And it's, it's the art of speaking. It's just, you're kind of flirting with the crowd. I mean, that's, you know, hmm. again, not really because you're not trying to arouse them sexually, but you're doing, you're doing word games with the crowd, you know, you're comedy flirting. Yeah. You're trying to yeah. you're trying to arouse parts of them. Yeah, for sure. Right. And so yeah, if you're not looking for social rewards from comedy, then it's probably doesn't have much to offer, you know? Mm. And it, that's to be clear, I, I still have like you and uh, even though we haven't spoken in a long time, I consider you a lifelong friend. I have a lot of there's a lot of people mm-hmm. uh, that I met out of that. I'm very fortunate, you know, my circle of friends is greatly enriched by doing stand up. That's actually one of the best things mm. is that now I know all these weirdos who are funny and they also have they're like keyed into their own personalities and you know that's really great. Mm. That's one of that's been one of the best things. That's one of the reasons why I don't regret doing comedy. It's just because of the people that I still have in my life. Hmm. But at the same time, if you're not looking for social rewards, you shouldn't do a social art, you know? Hmm. Do you think that there is, knowing this, a different way you could have pursued comedy in a different lane or something that might have been a better fit? Yeah, I think uh, for me personally, I'm not you know 100% sure. But I do see, I think I'm the kind of guy... The career trajectory, if I had moved out to New York or L.A. or something when I was relatively young, I could have probably gotten my shit to a level of straightness where my reputation would have gotten me some kind of writing gig. And I probably would have liked that a lot. Mm -hmm. And I probably would be one of those people where it's a name, but you never, you know, I think I could have flown in that world a little bit. But then you you hear about how horrible that is because it's 12 hours sitting in a room trying to come up with one more goddamn joke, you know? (laughs) 
right? Working for oh, wow. anything from The Onion to writing for a show or, yeah. Yeah. No, that sort of thing is still attractive to me. I do kind of think about that. It would kind of, it would be, I, I would, I don't know. It would be cool to try and do some kind of something like that. But who knows, you know, how does one even engage in that? And am I completely coming from a, a the world I come from now is so divorced from all of that. I don't know any of the customs or any of the way, you know, that sort of stuff. Right, right. Being rusty in that world. Yeah, it's it's definitely weird. As I mean, when I thought about going on in comedy and eventually having my own writer's room full of comedians who I love, like you were one of them, definitely. But like, mm-hmm. <laughs> those are long faded dreams now or, or kind of uh, yeah. challenged dreams. Um in the right. in the comedy well, reality that, but if and if you were still like if if you were putting a show together now you would and should absolutely put someone who's still doing comedy in that room not me <laughs> you know there's that element of it too yeah 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 i've done i mean it was weird doing my last year of shows my monthly casa de haha i kept it going here in denver a little bit but it just never felt the same as miami it had good nights and bad nights but by the time I I did it last year, just to kind of reaffirm my commitment to comedy, be like, well, this will keep me in the game, da-da-da. Um, all the comedians I knew, like half of them were almost in my position at this point, where they were half doing comedy and half not. So when I was booking my shows, right. I had a couple people who were still fresh and good and maybe one or two new people. But then I'd have a couple people on my category who would just... They'd go up there and they, sometimes they did great, sometimes they didn't, but there was always that like, man, what are my jokes? Or it's been a while or da da da. And I was like, oh boy, this is a sign. I don't know what's happening. But <laughs> Yeah, no, because to really do it, you do have to do it. You have to be sharp, you know? There's it's it's kind of it's like cage fighting or something in that way, where you do have to be sharp. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, even if you were good, yeah, you you know, you can still hit a bag pretty hard every once in a while or something, but it's different, you know? Right. When the bag hits back. Yeah, yeah. It's a weird feeling. It's a weird feeling when the bag hits back. <laughs> I'll drink to that. No, I don't know, man. I do. I, there is there is still definitely a part of me. I feel like I, I feel like I, I have a, a, uh, another moment of, oh, God. I, even when I try to say You don't even let idea, yourself I say collapse. it. You're not letting yourself I collapse. Collapse into self-hatred, yeah. <laughs> but I do. I feel, like I, have, I feel like I have a brain that can produce things that will delight other people. Um, and it would be interesting to try and find a way to pursue that, hmm. but I'm really not interested in having my name and face be the brand, you know, and I'm really not interested in it being this sort of, uh, weird fight. The vehicle you know? for it all. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You can get people to feel these incredible feelings without your face being the one to tell them to feel those things. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or without it being, we're going to see this man tonight, hmm. you know? Right. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. I mean, people. That why do people go out and see stand-up comedians? Because they make them feel a certain way that they don't get yeah. to feel regularly in their life. You know, what, some people really love being that guy. There's, and it's not a wrong thing either. I, I know. Want to be clear. It's who I am. Doesn't that suck to not you know? want to be that guy? Like, I get it. It's <laughs> it's just so counter to you know, stand-up comedy is all ego and everything and. And I, like you, I come from a place where I'm, like, trying to forget my ego. And my dad's fucking Buddhist. Uh, he let go of the ego. And then yeah. stand-up comedy's like, ego, ego, you must lock in on your ego. Or it doesn't matter the jokes as much as who's saying them. And if it feeds into your greater personality, because people need to know you. People yeah. need to feel like they know you. Yeah, that's, 
that's one of those like as a as a post comedian when you look at it, people always they want to say you know you're trying to you're trying to say something that everyone can relate to, and that's not really true. What you're trying to say is something so that you can re- so others can relate to the way you're saying it. It still has to be coming from you. It has to be if it's not your unique thing. If it's you know you're 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 the weird lens the light is going through, mm. and then it's 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 being able to transmit those ideas to other people. You know. Mm-hmm. And I love humor as a concept. You know, that's definitely like an elemental part of who I am as a person. You know, there's people who choose to be serious. There's people who they're just the different ways they deal with the world. And uh, yeah. I'm definitely not one of those people. I'm a fucking. We all know this is all bullshit, right? <laughs> you know, that's kind of right. And you can laugh or you can cry, and we choose laugh. Yeah, yeah, I choose to laugh instead of cry. That's exactly it. Or be angry, or be uh, you know any of the other possible emotional responses. Right, cycle through Beautiful. them, but laughter is the main one. Right. <laughs> right, right, and I think you know they, they, there is that laughter meditation and all that sort of shit. I do think that there is that when you when you give yourself the permission to laugh at something, especially something weird, horrible, uncomfortable, whatever. That is, you give yourself sort of a bird's eye view of it. You know, it is sort of a mindfulness technique where now it's not you in that situation, it's you above it, and you can kind of see the gears and strings and shit. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's a really helpful and healthy thing. But not everybody, you know, and that's the other thing. That's why comedy in prescribed situations as opposed to just being out on the street making coronavirus jokes right now or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Tiger King. Tiger yeah. King, it's amazing. Everybody loves weirdos. That one really, that really, it's amazing how some things like if perfect time, perfect place. <laughs> yeah. You, you got to wonder how that would have landed if, if America hadn't been staring at its TV in this right. particular moment. Because it is a cool story. It's a fun and interesting thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of America. It's America doing a people of Walmart, you know? Totally right. And three months ago, who knows if people would have glanced twice at it compared to the way that people are obsessed about it now. Yeah. Right, and that's very much like comedy in itself. Like maybe the thing you were doing exactly was would have been a hit at a certain time in a certain place, but it wasn't. Or maybe it never would yeah. have been. But you know, you know, in my twenties, I didn't put out any albums or anything. But I, what I did was probably comparable to being in a really good local band that did a little bit and then it all fell apart. <laughs> and that's great. And I don't really have anything, I, you know, I have embarrassing moments like I've shared with you, but I'm not really ashamed of what I became or of anything I did, you know, and, and so that's kind of cool. I didn't put out, you know, I didn't put out a really cool, I didn't put out a couple demos and an album, that, but I did something like that, and it lives in that kind of brain space for me, you know? Right, there's a lot of recordings of you out there. Yeah. You- Digital archaeologists of the future. This person did something. We don't know what exactly. That's a real healthy way to look at it. The the no regrets kind of a thing. Um, people that know me now don't. I don't tell people. Like you were talking about, there is that element of shame. So when I meet new people, I don't really tell them for a long time. I, 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 Comedy is still a big part of my life. I still... Do you see you yourself know? ever producing a comedic work or doing some sort of comedy project in the future or just being fine with the fact that comedy has enriched your life? Yeah, I think, I think I kind of, I think I understand both of those. I think I do. I'm all the time bubbling with that sort of shit or I I have, I have a few weird 
you know, half formed projects in my mind that are all, you know, difficult to describe. And, but yeah, it, all the time, that's sort of, because it's, it's just impossible to kind of get it out of your head. And mm-hmm. so then that, that's the, but I also like, I play guitar, I play drums, you know, I'm never going to be remotely, uh, I'm, I'm not good at those things. I do them for the love of doing those things. You know what I mean? I'm a middling guitar player and I'm a terrible drummer. Mm-hmm. I'm just, just fun. You do it for the joy of doing it. You know, I still draw, I still paint, I still, you know, reading is not really an, art, an artistic thing per se, but there's an element of chasing down aesthetic oh, it's elements hard. and of yeah. chasing down feelings and tones and shit. For sure. You, you, can do, you can do that sort of shit for the love of, just for the love of doing it. But it, it, you know, that goes back to, like you were saying, the hobbyist. You know, the hobbyist being the true amateur, because the amateur, you know, it literally means one who loves. It's the people mm. who do things for the love of doing them. Mm. Uh, you know, so I still definitely, you know, I engage in that sort of behavior, that sort of deviant, degenerate behavior. Instead of being like a joke I'm writing, it's just like, here's a thing I came up with. I think it will delight you, you know? Mm-hmm. Somehow pure. It's really nice. More pure, yeah. It's really nice. I don't know. Yeah, you do know. Don't say I you, do know, goddamn. Don't say you don't know. You do know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean, I've, mostly my life has been enriched by having done comedy. I don't necessarily regret doing it. It's, it's like you were saying. It's another weird experience that I could throw on the pile with all the other crazy shit that I've experienced in my life. So in some ways, I'm oddly competent for no reason in unusual situations. You know, <laughs> it's such an X factor. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. I kind of wish I hadn't just let myself lean into being the king of the bar comics. Right. I mean, you were that comics comic. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know, man. I definitely, I think I've got, I've got a certain toolkit that not everybody has. I do think I could do something. But, you know, fame and money and all that sort of shit, that's, that's not even in the equation necessarily. But I, you know, it, it's certainly possible that I could come up with something or get a weird itch again and figure out a way try and give it another go and i mean i'm a single guy i live i, I got a house that's paid for i you know relatively stay we'll see mm-hmm. i'm expecting to not have a job here in the next week or so but maybe <laughs> after the virus maybe i'll get it back and all that sort of shit who knows but the, the point is I, I i have the kind of life where i could go for it again if i really wanted to right. in some way and it wouldn't be you know now with the wisdom that i have I don't think I would try stand-up again. I don't think I would ever honestly do stand-up like, this is what I'm going to do for a career. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's the way to do it. That said, it could like uh, it could be, a, you know, there's some guys who just kind of have that in the tool belt. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know, man. I think being a writer, doing something like that seems a little bit more interesting to me. Uh, being involved in the creative process with other people. Mm. Rather than, like I said, rather than my name and face being the brand, just you the know. solo thing of uh, comedy, right? Upstanding. Yeah, po- podcasting is very attractive to me. It's a thing, you know. I mean, it's a, that's another. It's a crowded space right now, and all that sort of shit. I don't need to. I, I'm sure I don't need to express all that sort of shit to you. You know, uh, but, it, it uh, is, but know. at the same point, comedy's crowded. Entertainment's crowded. It ain't ever gonna be. Yeah. It's never gonna be ideal. So if you want to do something, do it. But but yeah. but yeah, those those uh kind of warnings of having been in the entertainment industry at least somewhat yeah i think but that you know that's like like you were saying if you had known more about how about how youtube and shit worked like you would have done it more than once with the uh de haha show the last yeah. miami thing we did you know yeah it's the it's the repetition it's the creation of content that's that sort of world 
And that is, that, that's kind of cool, actually, for the quote-unquote amateur, because then they, you got to pump out a bunch of shit. It's back to the joy of doing it, you know? Right, and that's, that's their open mic, is, you know, your early shit is your bad shit, and you eventually get to the yeah. good shit. Even YouTube, I watch a ton of YouTube these days, because I'm trying to get people to subscribe to my YouTube channel, please, Daniel Reskin. And um, <laughs> you can tell, you just, you sort the videos by time, and then you scroll, even these people with millions of subscribers, you go to the bottom, and they're all the same kind of uh, raw. You know, it takes time, no matter what you're doing, to get good at it. And I think stand-up comedy as a huge leg up can make you effective at so many things if you can develop the skill set yeah. for it, which I'm, I like you, I'm very thankful for it. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's weird to think of, you know, if you had done this, if you had done that. What, what advice would you have given a young Matt who just started comedy? Don't listen to other people. <laughs> and then he'd say, fuck you. You're in other people. <laughs> well, I'm not trying to play a word. But it's one of those, almost every time anybody tried to give me advice, it was the wrong advice. Almost every time it was mm. someone trying to make me more like them. Almost every time it was what I needed to do was like, like I needed to be more of my own ass about it. I needed to just do, do the kind of shit you wanted to do, believe the dream and get the fuck out while you can, you know? Mm. And I do think too, because the combination, I was young and unemployed. And so I, it, I was used to having these endless stretches of unspecified time where I could just do uh, whatever I wanted and sleep whenever I want and then get up and get high and just sit on the computer and read random Wikipedia articles all day and, oh, it's <laughs> 7 o'clock, now i got to drive to Boca or whatever. <laughs> and so I, I definitely, t time was not a, uh, a limited resource. I got used to time just being a thing. Mm -hmm. And, then, you know, that that's not necessarily the case even when it feels that way. So I definitely... You know, it Damn. would have been nice if I'd used some of that time better. You know, that's I used to when I when I when I really was just doing it without any knowledge of what I felt I was supposed to be doing it. You know, there, there's a freeness to it where you can go and do and say things that you probably wouldn't if you were really thinking about it. Well, there's a million uh, avenues to take it. Uh, I've already taken a ton of your time. Yeah, I think we're getting at three hours here, so I don't want to. Goddamn. Don't believe it's been we're putting it's, up Rogan numbers here. You know, it's it's been fucking fantastic to catch up with you, and I'm I'm beating myself up for not doing it sooner. Um, yeah, man, it's good. It's good to hear from you too, dude. I really, it's great. You know, I, I like I said, I consider you a forever friend. Definitely. And it's cool to hear from you. You know, we've shared a lot of crazy experiences. We had a lot of fun together. That little circle of friends we had down in South Florida was pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Blood is thicker than water is an often malappropriated expression because people think it means you're with family. But it's the, the original expression is the blood of the battlefield is thicker than the water of the womb. And it basically means huh. the people you're in the shit with are your real family. You know what I mean? Amen. Yeah, I didn't realize that. But yeah, that makes total sense. And it is true. I mean, <laughs> comedians are constantly avoiding their families to go hang out with people they barely know uh, and drink a beer and smoke yeah. a cigarette. And be way more honest with them than anyone else in their real life, you know? <laughs> yes. But any, any final, final messages to our listeners, be them grizzled comedy veterans or fresh-faced comedy hopefuls? Life is completely meaningless, and that's what makes you completely free. 
I love it. Uh, that's the blurb for the cast. I love it. That's fantastic. Thank you for uh, incredibly insightful and uh, and interesting conversation, Matt. Yeah, you too, man. Right back at you. Cool. All right. Take it easy and adios. Love you, buddy. Hail Satan. Love you back, Satan. <laughs>